This episode of Unexpecting is brought to you by our friends at Carrot Fertility, the global platform for fertility healthcare and family forming support. Go to carrotfertility.com slash unexpecting to learn more. It happened so suddenly. It was this news that just, it, it felt like a cloud of fear just descending upon me within minutes of looking at this result. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi, I'm Tara Lipinski. And I'm Todd Kapastashi. Oh, are you trying to copy me? Well, you looked into your camera when you introduced yourself, so I feel like I need to. He's trying to copy me. I was just trying to make it a personal introduction. Well, I thought we were were having a conversation. You're (laughs) looking away from me. Conversation. Okay. All right, guys. This is the second episode of Unexpecting. Whoa. We got a title. We have a name. Finally. We definitely (laughs) went about this the completely wrong way. We filmed the first episode, (laughs) recorded an episode with no title. No name. No name. We had a few on the list, but we just weren't, we weren't ready. We were toying around with Unplanned for a while. That was good. You really liked A Silent Storm. so A Silent Storm. So I feel like it perfectly defines what infertility feels like for someone going through the process. It feels like there is this silence and isolation and it's still a subject that's still so hush-hush and taboo, but at the same time, there's this raging storm around you and that's exactly what I felt like. So I feel like I really related to that. But we had we had some good names. We had Golden Child. Oh yeah, we were trying to mix in your Olympic career a little right. bit. Right, it didn't really make sense. It made sense for us because we were thinking... We just need this one golden egg and there's a tie there, but it was well, not Well, golden good. child's a little bit of pressure if we do ever have a child <laughs> for calling them the golden child. That's not okay. I know. Yeah. But long story short, <laughs> unexpecting is simple, punchy, and a pun, I guess. But also because going into this process, we never expected that yeah. it would be like this. Yeah. Well, where we left off in episode one of the Untitled Podcast <laughs> was some bad news. The first bad news we received on our journey so far, which was basically a failed retrieval. We sent off seven embryos to be tested, genetic testing, and they all came back as genetically abnormal. Abnormal. So it was, we got zero Zero back and it was a a failure. It was a complete failure, yeah. So just take me back. We didn't really talk in the last episode about your reaction to that. Just kind of take me back, because even I forget, honestly, it was so long ago, what your How reaction was. How do you was. forget? I don't forget <laughs> this at all. <laughs> These are the differences between Todd and I. Well, we had a lot of what similar did, What did you flows. forget? <laughs> well, Tara, just, uh, this is my journalist mode. Oh, yes. We take can't forget back. the leader of our podcast. Okay. How did you feel? Storytelling. You, how did you feel when you got that result? Zero embryos. Yeah, I think initially just shock. I just couldn't believe it. 
And I also felt like it happened so suddenly. It was this news that just, it, it felt like a cloud of fear just descending upon me within minutes of looking at this result. And I think that's because we started this process, not because we had issues, not because we tried to get pregnant, but someone told me their their struggle in fertility. And for some reason, I just got really scared and thought, what if we have issues? And we started IVF. So it almost felt like this- A confirmation almost. It felt like a confirmation. It felt like, see, you did this to get this answer. And it felt- eerie. It felt like this premonition. It felt like something was really wrong. And I I can't explain it other than that. I just felt it in my bones. I felt like something wasn't right. And in our defense of feeling or your defense of feeling this way was that I think for me, even me, it would have been one thing if we sent one or two embryos to be tested and both came back abnormal because that happens. I think the fact that we sent seven and zero came back genetically okay that was a little bit of an alarm for me because it's, you know, it's those seven. odds. Those odds yeah. aren't great. And I immediately look at results. You don't talk to your doctor yet. I'm on Dr. Google and I'm seeing all these women. I'm trying to find similar stories, but not really finding them. I see all these women sending out one or two embryos and getting back one genetically normal embryo. And that's just with sending two out. And then I have a friend who's simultaneously going through IVF gets the results that she has six genetically normal embryos in one cycle. And I'm I'm connecting these dots and saying, okay, something feels a bit off. We have seven. Those odds seem like someone, the IVF gods are telling us there is a problem. You guys are probably infertile. Well, before we get to Dr. Beck's response um, or thoughts on our first retrieval and the failure in our mind, I just want to talk a little bit more about our ignorance Going into this, obviously, and we talked a lot about that in episode one, but even after this retrieval and during this retrieval, I sort of was under this impression that you walk into the clinic for a first retrieval, they take your, they retrieve your eggs, they take my sperm, they put them together and you leave the office knowing what you got. You're a family of four. Yeah, we're leaving (laughs) as a family. We have our embryos in tow. Yeah, that's what we both thought it was going to be like. And it's not like that at all. Right, it's, there's a process and stuff like falls off too. You go from like 20 eggs retrieved to this happens and this happens and this happens. Yeah, it's not a fun game. The drop-off rate is disturbing to say the least. And what happens is say you get 20 eggs on retrieval day, and that's a great number, but some women may only get seven or eight, and that then will affect the final number and the final result. So they pull out the eggs, and then you have a drop-off rate from the eggs that were extracted to the next day when they tell you how many were mature, how many are healthy, good to go, and fertilized. Then there's a drop-off rate to how many get fertilized. Then there's an even bigger drop-off rate to how many make embryos, because that is a pretty big step. And then (laughs) there's a three-week wait or a two-week wait at that point for genetic testing. And there's an even bigger drop-off at that point. So your numbers that you start with are nowhere near where you went. Right. It's like these embryos are, you know, storming Normandy, where you, (laughs) to get to point A to point B, you're going to lose a lot of, of valuable soldiers. 100%. And when I walked into that clinic the very first day, I was shocked when Dr. Beck looked at me and said, oh, one to three genetically normal embryos in your 30s is a great result. In my mind, and I'd love to ask other women that went to their first meeting at IVF when they were learning about what was going to happen in their retrieval, 
if they had the same reaction. Because in my mind, I, I thought we're doing all of this for one. And now, obviously, you realize, especially as we've gone further along in this process, how precious one genetically normal embryo is. You'll you'll give up anything for that embryo. It's potential life. But at the time, you think you're just going to walk away, you know, with, you know, eight kids. So we were you were especially, you know, worried down in the dumps, sort of scared about what this result meant. But, you know, importantly, that's why you have doctors to talk you through this stuff. What was Dr. Beck saying was the issue? So she was saying there wasn't an issue. She wasn't concerned that this just happened. And as we know now, IVF isn't guaranteed in any way. And she was telling us, look, to get to the point you got to, we did all we could do. We got seven embryos sent out, which is incredible. And again, I'm so grateful for that. So we know we made those steps. And she says, at this point, then it's up to nature. What is going to be genetically normal or not? But she said, also just looking at the results of my retrieval, which is what's great about IVF is you get that deeper look into your fertility. You have embryologists looking at the quality of your eggs and your sperms and how and when did they become embryos? And she was looking at all of these results and she said she does suspect that there's that presence of endo that we talked about, endometriosis. Not only did I have the symptoms and she saw some signs on the ultrasound, but just how many post-mature eggs I had in this retrieval alarmed her to endometriosis and maybe a different timing and protocol. And let me just explain, this is when I wish Johnny Weir was sitting next to me because you throw out all these big words of post-mature and you, you, you just don't know what any of this means. And I had no idea, but essentially she was just going to change the timing of when we did the retrieval. She was going to get these eggs out a few days early, less medicine, and hopefully then they would be a stronger, better quality. Yeah. Well, this will be a theme running throughout this podcast, but <laughs> we should also talk about you know, and I think this is probably true of a lot of couples and how men and women or Where men and men and women this? and women handle, <laughs> handle these situations is our reactions were a little different. I... <laughs> that is a understatement. Well, I was still, I was concerned. Obviously, I was bummed that... This, bummed? Oh, he was bummed. No, guys, it was oh, more... Shucks. It was more like he got the wrong coffee at Starbucks. It was like, oops, no, better luck next time. I was concerned, but, you know, I tend... This is just my personality. I tend to say, well you're the one who went to school for 20 years for this. I didn't. So I tend to believe what doctors tell me. And Dr. Beck, like you said, was sort of like, you know, this happens. It's, there's nature. I also trusted her because like you said, she would literally say to you, like Tara, women come into this office and I have the uncomfortable conversations where it's like, your fertility is bad. You don't have eggs. You have this issue or that issue or that issue. Like I this will tell you. This isn't going to work. You yeah. need to do this. Or I will tell you when things are bad and yes. things are not bad. This is try number one. And there's some reasons why. And I tended to believe that, but you know, you <laughs> reacted differently. I was on the other end of the spectrum and I believed Dr. Beck, like I said, but I can't talk to Dr. Beck 24 hours a day. <laughs> we tried. I tried, but then I hung up and then it would just, the, the fear would start to creep in because it didn't make sense to me. I also didn't have knowledge or information at all about what IVF is, what post-mature eggs are. And I just thought something's wrong with our eggs. Yeah, well, this is sort of an aside to all of this, but 
I just keep thinking back to those moments and they seem so, so long ago. I mean, they were, they were five years ago. God, who was I? I don't (laughs) even know who I was. No, but really we were different people. We were at different points in our career and it's just crazy like how long ago all of this Mm -hmm. happened. But what's funny is as you were talking, I was thinking, I think during that first retrieval, I was actually working on the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 because mm-hmm. um, I'm a documentary film Yeah, director. I should just probably say, I think he's one of the best out there. <laughs> I may be a little biased, uh, but watch his... <laughs> he is, he's getting red. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but no, keep going though. No. Anything oh, else you want to oh, say? See, he'll now use the podcast as a place well, for... Well, I feel like when the cameras are rolling, you know, I don't get these oh, sort of compliments. True? So. Keep is, it coming. Is that true? <laughs> no. No. Words of affirmation oh, is my yeah. love language. Yes, so. guys, let's break this down. His number one, <laughs> you know, people have two love languages. There's, there's, no, it's one and it's one. It's one and one yeah. words of affirmation. <laughs> so you get a lot of that. But my point is, so I was working on the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30. And as a part of that project, I interviewed his ex-wife. And they have two kids together, uh, Trinity Rodman and DJ Rodman. And so, you know, I'm at the house setting up for the interview. And then... Trinity, who was, I don't know, like a sophomore or a freshman maybe in high school, maybe middle school. I would have to do the math, but she was young. And, you know, we're setting up and she bops down the stairs like, oh, hey guys, like, oh, want to interview me? I'm like a star soccer player, kind of as a joke. And I was like, uh, yeah, no, we're, <laughs> we're okay, thanks. Um, and fast forward five years, she's like the star of the women's national soccer God, team. she's a big deal and you lost your chance. <laughs> I know, I missed out on my chance, but- the only reason I bring that up is it goes to show in the period where we were were still doing our fertility, she went from being a middle schooler to like one of the best soccer players on earth, I guess. Well, th- this makes me think of just a big topic in the infertility community where you have, say, a friend that's getting pregnant when you start your first retrieval, sim- similar to some of my relationships. And then all of a sudden... They're on to their second kid and then their second kid is posting a first day at kindergarten photo and you're still in the same spot and life is just passing you by and you feel like you're in this time warp. If I ever saw Trinity Rodman, I'd be like, still having fertility issues. <laughs> Not sure if I mentioned that, but... She's soon going to have her own She's going to have kids. Yeah. Before we She's going to have seven kids and we're still doing podcasts about our infertility. Oh, man. But back to the, you know, the feelings of that first retrieval... To put it frankly, you were worried. I just felt like there was a problem and I needed to fix it. And I do this throughout my life when stuff gets hard. I just fall back into when I was an athlete and how I trained and how I I put my mind to something and worked through it. And it was the only thing that felt like home, felt like comfort. And I just said, blinders on. I don't care about anything else. It was kind of like cue the Rocky music, like montage of you (laughs) downing downing fertility shakes. (laughs) This is exactly how it was. And I just became so focused on this is my first priority, my only priority. Life doesn't matter. Social activities don't matter. I canceled trips. I was supposed to leave for a trip in two days. I didn't care. The biggest social event in the world could be happening. No FOMO. Wouldn't matter. This is all that mattered. Work, social activities. What would activities. be that biggest social event like that you'd cancel? Like the Met Gala? I mean, what's your like number <laughs> one social event? I, I don't know, but 
anything could have happened. But I was like this too as a kid, you know, prom was a big deal. And I promise you, I didn't even have a thought about prom in my mind. Later, I really wanted a prom. And actually guys, he you threw me a surprise prom for like my 36th birthday because I never had one. And I started to think about prom later in life. But at the time I was like, no, I got a triple flip to do. And, you know, I think back to you know, my skating career. And that's how I was able to push through things. And my family's very hardworking and my dad loves sayings. And I just feel like I grew up with the mantra of like, the only time you find success before work is in the dictionary. So I was like, I'm going to work my way through this. I'm going to work to those genetically normal embryos. So I started fertility acupuncture and I met Danica Thornberry. And I, I even just get little chills when I talk about her because it was just meant to be. I met her instant connection, soul sister. She's this intuitive, spiritual, floating fertility fairy. and Which is an interesting match for you because not not that you're not a fairy. I'm I'm not a fairy. (laughs) No, you're a fairy in your own way, but you know, you're like a Jersey, no nonsense kind of. You're not really a very zen chanting. Even acupuncture, I like it, but I'd be like, okay, like really, what what are we doing here? You know, and I just remember immediately I felt so comfortable with her and I just sat on the table and I just like tears started coming down my face and I was so vulnerable and felt so safe and just started telling her everything. And I think all these feelings were bubbling up for the first time in my life forever. And that's why I I felt so overwhelmed and anxious, but I just was like, Danica, I just want to be a mom. I I don't know if I put this off too late. And I want to see little Todd's running around. And, you know, I was just on this spiral. One other related thing to Danica and your whole mindset during that period is she, also a very Untara-like thing, but Danica had you journal. Oh, yes. So we... I mean, I became a new person. I was meditating. I was, you know, doing these affirmations because you really have to think fertile. You have to, the food you're eating, you have to believe it's going to make you fertile. Yeah, you would have these mantras. I would come down the stairs and I would just see you on the couch, like, I don't know, with headphones (laughs) on being like, I will get pregnant. I I am, I am fertile. I'm a fertile person. I was, I was in it. I was like ready to just do whatever was asked of me. I am woman. <laughs> I am woman. Hear me roar. But no, I I journaled, which was also hard for me because I am not a big journaler. So ever. I'm starting to laugh here yeah, as you talk, getting- just because you've read me some of the entries, and while some of them are awesome. The whole journal, it's very... Formal. Yes, Todd is like, you write like you're the queen of England. No, it's like it reads like a Tolstoy novel or something. I don't know. (laughs) But what's interesting about the journals is, and I actually pulled them down last night because I want you to, you know, if you're comfortable, read a passage or two. Because I do think there are some interesting, you know, passages there that relate to the podcast too. This was interesting. And especially since now we're finally talking about our story um, we came across this 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 little entry where I said, um, I wish I was brave enough to share my journey publicly, but I know taking my attention away from the task at hand would be unpredictable in its outcome. I don't want to let people know yet. I don't want to feel like something is wrong or have people pity me. Even though there are thousands of women struggling through this process, I feel very alone. I wish someone talked about a similar experience to mine so that I could take hope and believe all will be okay. When this is done and hopefully with the outcome I want, I will, and I have have underlined six times, 
to share my story. Maybe there will be someone needing to hear it someday and I could ease their mind and give them hope, which I I really look back at that now and it's five years. It's yeah. It's been so long and now I am finally ready. And of course you hear about IVF, you hear about people going through things, but again, it's the details, you know, like clearly I was looking for someone who had my exact story. Yeah. So I don't know if there's someone out there that is, is close to my story and boy, we'll, we'll have a lot more to add to the list. Yeah then maybe we can help. Yeah, but, but I mean, that's an emotional entry, I feel like, even for me, because it's, you know, I mean, it's bittersweet in a sense because we're still talking, you know, yes, you're now sharing now, but it, it five years have passed and we're still trying to get that kind get of that elusive angle. child. <laughs> um, you were kind of down in the dumps and very emotional over that, you know, first failed retrieval. Yeah, I don't know. I was just really scared. And looking back, I... I still believe this period of time is maybe, and we've been through a lot of stuff, a lot of things that warrant anxiety. I still think maybe this is a top three moment and period of time that I was my most anxious. Sometimes I'm like, oh, a little embarrassed by it because gosh, I was just starting out. You know, failures happen. What was I so worried about? But I think for me, it, it was such a shock. It was my life changed in one moment. I was having these big life thoughts where I was thinking about us and family and things that I, for 36 years, had never thought about and then thought, oh, wait, someone's taking them off the table. And it's one of those things where all of a sudden you, you don't even know if you want something that badly and then someone takes it away from you and then that's all you want. That's all you can think about and it becomes an obsession. And I have to hold space that... I had those feelings and I was scared for some reason. Because of that first failed retrieval, we decided obviously to do a second one. And that was June 9th, 2019, the day before your birthday. Yeah. The lead up was a lot different than the first one. There were more nerves. There seemed to be more stakes, right? The stakes were so high. We were not naive anymore. I wasn't out drinking <laughs> with my friends at dinner. I was on a mission and I, I think I just... I think I just really felt that if we didn't get a genetically normal embryo, there was no convincing me that there wasn't a problem. And like I said, I don't know if it was just this premonition, why we started all of this. I just felt like this was do or die. We needed to get one. We didn't need two. We just needed one. That was always in my mantras. It's just, just one. Just give me one. Just show us we could do this. So we go into California Fertility Partners. In June of 2019, at it again, number two. Yeah. We, you do your egg retrieval. I go in, give my sample. They combine them. And as we've discussed, there's a long wait. It's an understatement to say that that wait was different than the first one, obviously, right? This time, the wait was very different. The first time I was out drinking, having I wasn't even thinking about it. We had great numbers. I was like, cool, we're going to have some kids on ice. Yeah, this time you were like a doomsday prepper, <laughs> like in your bunker, not yeah. speaking to anybody. I was like, we got to wait it out. And the wait is so long. That three-week wait is just endless. Okay, so drum roll. You open the portal. Trusty old portal. A couple weeks later after that second retrieval um, and just take us through what the results were. Yes, we got the text message. I opened up the portal and it said that you have two genetically normal embryos. We did it. It's over. 
We did it. A girl and a boy. And I didn't even care. I just wanted one. And we got two. IVF is so easy. It was over. <laughs> it was eight months. We crushed it. Boy and a girl. We're done. I, That's kind I, of what we I, felt like. I thought we were done. I just remember that day feeling so incredibly happy, obviously, and proud and just couldn't wait to call you and tell you we have a little girl and a little boy on ice and we did it and our worries are gone and I worried for nothing and it's over and here we are. Yeah, it did seem like at that point, we can't understate the fact that we did kind of just think, you know, done. we all the worries we had about, you know, any genetic issues were over and getting two was, was Two great. was a bonus. I just wanted one. Yeah. And I I thought, okay, like- Next, now we have our insurance and we're good to go. And now a quick word from our sponsors. I wanted to give you a little more information about a test that I took on my own IVF journey and one that I think is important for women as they begin their journey of building a family. This test is Receptiva DX and it identifies inflammation on your uterine lining, usually associated with endometriosis. If you are someone who suspects that they have endometriosis, this is a crucial test to learn about and ask your doctor about. If you have inflammation on your uterine lining, this could potentially jeopardize implantation or pregnancy. I was diagnosed with endo before I took this test, but many women don't know that they have endometriosis. These women can have silent endometriosis without any symptoms to alert them. If you have experienced reoccurrent pregnancy loss, have had at least one IVF failure, or have been diagnosed with unexplained infertility, this could be the test for you. For me, it was important to rule out inflammation on my uterine lining to have a clear plan for next steps. I hope this information was helpful and please ask your doctor more about this test or go to receptivadx.com. You know, one side note too about just IVF in general is how uninformed I think the general public is about what IVF actually is. And I didn't even know this either, but I mean, essentially... When you go in for retrieval, they take your egg, they take my sperm, they fertilize put them, it. They fertilize it together and wait to see if it matures into anything after a few days. And literally, when it's literally and figuratively, they freeze time. They freeze the embryo to later be thawed and then put in your uterus and hopefully you have a live birth. But you know, we should probably talk about this. And it's a little bit again of a touchy subject with there are people who think that that process is is wrong. See, this is where you you lead me. The the leader of this podcast leads me into an area where I get a little angry. Well, I, <laughs> well I'm a journalist here also, mm -hmm. so I'm going to poke and prod mm -hmm. at this important issue. But yeah. I know you probably have strong feelings about that. But I think the argument is we shouldn't be playing God or... We have a medical issue and thank goodness that there is technology out there that we have the ability to even try for this child. And I think when people say that, it just blows my mind because, you know, are you saying all those little beautiful IVF children that are running around the world are not meant to be here or shouldn't be here? It's, it's ludicrous. Well, it's also silly that just the argument of playing God is, well, as technology advances, what do you just like not use it? Like when we started doing like triple bypass surgeries for heart, like failure, do we just like let that person die? Or if you break your leg, you break just- Break your leg, just sit with it. You don't just put limp, a around, yeah, don't limp put around a for the rest of your life. Yeah. So yeah, I think the the playing God thing is kind you of You know, and, I, and 
I think some people think, oh, people just do IVF for fun, maybe. I don't know. IVF is not fun. It ain't fun. So people are going because there's a medical issue and it's, you know, physically, emotionally, it takes its toll. So for me, you know, I'm staying calm, but thank goodness we have IVF. So we've sort of said this already, but at this point with two of these embryos, I think we both thought we were just done with this, right? Oh, yeah. Like it was I, over. That was our last retrieval. Moving on. We have the insurance. Let's go on vacation. <laughs> that, that was my mindset. But I we, did it. <laughs> <laughs> but we did get info from Dr. Beck that changed that a little bit, right? Yes. At our next meeting, she just very calmly said, well, how big of a family are you guys thinking you want? And I just feel like I need to kind of tell you that how we, we think about it is two for one. Two, for every two embryos, one live birth, because... When you put that embryo in, even though it's genetically normal and a great embryo, it's just nature, science, life. Yeah. It's about a 60 to 65% chance that it works. So all of a sudden it was like the balloon just like deflated. And I was like, what does this mean? Does this mean we have to do another retrieval? Back to the fertility diet. Right, back to the fertility. <laughs> but at this point, I was still a little thrown off by our whole experience. So it wasn't like I just blew her off and thought, oh, we'll be fine. We'll get pregnant naturally. That first failed cycle definitely had an impact on me. So I immediately thought, here we go. We got to do retrieval three. So we did decide to move forward and do a third retrieval, which was in early February, of, scheduled for early February of 2020. But back up a couple months, Christmas 2019, the end of the year, Something happened to kind of complicate that retrieval. You. <laughs> you complicated it. How so? <laughs> we were on Christmas vacation in Montana in this cute little cabin with, you know, 10 foot of snow outside. And you turn to me and you say, I don't feel good. <laughs> and then fast forward over four days and you had a raging fever of 104. Yeah, it was like Something, 104.3, I think I, was... I, also, who has fevers that high? I feel like if I'm at 103, I am out for the count. You were just in there suffering. And I was, I was, remember I was telling you, we've got to go to the hospital. And I was trying to Google like, when is a temperature too high? When does he die? Like, we've got to take him immediately. It was bad. Yeah. And we didn't know. So we had started, or, you know, the, the process of a third retrieval. And I, I naively didn't, think about a fever being a possible complication. And it's an issue. It's an issue. And especially when it's this high of a fever, you know, you didn't have like a hundred or 101 fever for a day. You were, you know, a week straight of just fire over there. Your, your, your whole entire body was full of fire. Other places <laughs> apparently too were on fire. On fire. Um, Two places. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I didn't really alert the doctor to how sick you were. And we went through with a retrieval. And <laughs> <laughs> we can skip all the drama. Yeah, what, what were the results of that third retrieval, Tara? Yeah, we opened up the portal <laughs> on day five and it was a big fat zero. Nothing. And nothing. We got nothing. And, you know, I remember talking to Dr. Beck and I was, again, the fear creeping back because uh, we got those normal embryos, but I have to say there was still something that just really frightened me from that first retrieval that just felt off. And 
I was like, uh, Dr. Becker, are we okay? What What's happening? And she just said, oh my goodness, I'm looking. It seems to be like a sperm issue, you know, because they're able to look at the sperm on the day of the retrieval. And then, you know, at certain points, and if it, it, it rests the, the, the growth at a certain point, it can be an indicator of sperm. So she said, I, I think this is a sperm thing. We started talking. We finally get to your fever. And she's like, that is it. You know, we, I didn't know that. And then, oh man, I, I was like eagle eyes on you. I was like, oh. Well, this result <laughs> really was a turning point a little bit because it, it made you aware just there's another person. It's not just like Correct. eggs. It's not just your diet. It's I'm a part. You're a part of <laughs> this better too. better I'm a part of this too. Well, I think male factor infertility, again, is just even more of a hush-hush topic. And I think even as a woman, and probably many women feel this, you go to that doctor, you feel like everyone's looking at you. You know, there is sort of this narrative that if you can't have a child in life, it, the woman is barren, the woman is infertile. And that's not the case. You know, male factor infertility makes up a, a big percentage yeah. of why people struggle to get pregnant. So I realized, oh, Tara, you're really focusing on yourself. It's time to get on top. So like I do everything, I said, all right, we have to do a fertility makeover <laughs> for Todd. And we went to Leona Fox West, who is a brilliant uh, holistic doctor that I see. And she ran so many tests on you. Allergy tests, deficiency, vitamin. Like we we knew everything. Meanwhile, I was like, yo, I had a 104 degree temperature. Like no, it, you it's were, okay. Yeah, no, you were, you were <laughs> on the hook for all of this. So we put Todd on some supplements and IVF gals out there, I'm sure you can relate to this. Um, you know, we're taking a lot of hormones every day. And yes, you're on, you were on a good amount of pills and you weren't really used to taking pills. So I'll give you that. But it's kind of cute looking back. But I remember you come into the kitchen one day and you look at me and you're like, I'm taking two vitamin C's every day. Do you think that this is okay? Do you think this could hurt me? And I, I meanwhile, I'm in the kitchen doing Breaking Bad type work over there, shooting myself up with you know, all types of Vitamin hormones. Vitamin C can be dangerous. People out there should know. Right. But we were, no, a but doctor was watching. <laughs> but Tara's being too nice, I think, about this. Like there is, it is hard. I think you come home and shove a bunch of pills in my face and say, hey, these are the like 10 pills you're going to take basically in perpetuity. <laughs> and I, I, like you mentioned, I'm not a pills person. Yeah. So I think just like, what are like, what are these? Like, what's this green one? What's this red one? And there were a lot. And I know, look. Yeah, you, it's vitamin C. You, yeah, they were very harmless. <laughs> it's like, it's you're like taking, vitamin C and D and fish it's oil. like Flintstone vitamins. Could these hurt me? <laughs> yeah, it was like kind of salmon in a capsule. And I was like terrified to take yeah. that. But again, does this go back to just fertility in general and the lack of knowledge and awareness around it? Like, you know, if everyone knew with male factor infertility type problems that, it, you know, vitamin C and vitamin D could, you know, over a three month span really improve, you know, your sperm count and numbers and all of these things very safely, then maybe you would have felt way more comfortable doing it. I think people just don't talk about any of these things. So you're probably like, what? Like, what yeah. are you giving me? Yeah, I think probably even early on, it was a little bit of an ego thing, but my response- Really? Well, my response was- Probably like, well, okay, Tara, like I had 
this all, one of the worst illnesses I've ever had. I had a fever that was probably, I should have been hospitalized <laughs> yeah. for like three days. And then we went right into a retrieval and the doctor said like, uh, like that ruins your, your chances for that retrieval. So then to be like the reaction to that is a hundred pills every night for a year was kind of like, oh man, like this is kind of brutal. But you know, looking back, it's like, suck it up. Tara's over here shoving needles <laughs> into her stomach. Yeah, and I'm I mean, complaining it's part of the process. I think it's probably lots of funny couple conversations that are exactly like this of people going through IVF together. So now it's a sad portion of our program here. We're going to talk, well, sad and happy. Where are we going? We get to uh, reflect on our Dublin Lipinski. Aww. My baby boy. If you follow Tara on social on Instagram, media, you know this Dublin. is not a shock. We yeah. also have like a <laughs> like a 10 foot painting of Dublin hanging above our fireplace. We we definitely do. You got that for my or my anniversary, for our <laughs> anniversary a few years ago. And it is by far the best gift you have ever given me. I'm not kidding, guys. It It is a five, six foot tall painting of him. It is stunning. <laughs> Just to give you an idea, and I'm sure there's a lot of dog people out there, but we are those dog We're people. We're weird. I, I, I never wanted to be the we like, are. weird. We are. We're the weird dog people. Like who think their dog is like the greatest yeah. thing. Like everyone thinks that. but I know. I, everyone does. And so do we. Like, but still having that rational thought, I still think Double is the greatest still, dog of all time. He 100% is. This dog has been dead for three <laughs> years. And if we mention him less than 10 times a day, that is odd. We usually go to bed having a little chat, chat about, with Dublin. Yeah, I mean, there Dublin's is also to. a very funny story for another time that when I was sad, Todd made up of like Dublin living in Wuhan, China, <laughs> and that he had something to do with COVID. <laughs> He's <laughs> also is, not the smartest dog. He, yeah, he wasn't. But there's like this whole silly thing, and now we have another small dog, Dublin's brother, same breed, Sullivan. So we'll be like, Sully, what's What's Dublin up to? And yeah, they talk sometimes. Yeah, they so talk sometimes. But again, sorry guys. <laughs> yeah, this Tara, stop. Stop. All right, we get it. You like your dog, <laughs> but uh, you know, on a more somber note, around you know, and this this all made, and we'll talk about it in later episodes too, how Dublin's health devolved. But what complicated our difficult fertility journey was also this beloved dog was diagnosed with pretty bad cancer, right? Two, two cancers. Yeah. He was misdiagnosed. He hurt his leg one day. We went there. They said he's fine. A couple months later, went in and it was a dire situation. And then they not only found the cancer, uh, you know, in his leg, but then over his eye. And it was pretty much like your dog is, you know, not going to be here for a very long time. And you have two choices, either, you know, let him go or you can amputate his leg. And that was a huge choice at the time. And this is for another dog podcast, but it was the best decision we ever made. He was the happiest dog. He swam, he jumped, he ran. He was brilliant. And we made that choice. But going through this at the start of COVID, going through all this infertility stuff, it just felt like we couldn't get a win at that point. Yeah, and then, you know, we, before we had Dublin's amputation surgery, for what trip was it? Valentine's Day, I think. We went to Northern California, which were we we were calling it was Valentine's Day for us, but we were calling it his last leg La trip. Last leg trip, so we and we got a his... professional uh, photographer <laughs> to take pictures of him with his last leg, and we did like paw prints and cement, and we did all these silly which, things. Meanwhile, this is I hate saying this, but not <laughs> that it, not that it wasn't a great idea to get the photographer, but if you remember, <laughs> <laughs> the the poor fucking dog 
he had cancer on his eye. So, so they, they, remo- like shaved. they had shaved <laughs> half of his face. And it was kind of like, oh, dubby. But like half of his face was completely shaven sure, you know. and it looked like kind of just a skull. And then of course- and then we're- his other leg, like where he was going to have the surgery was all shaved too. Yeah. I thought he was beautiful though. Remember I was like, look at these pictures. But we kept telling, I kept telling the photographer like his left side, <laughs> like she was taking pictures of like the right side of his You're face. You're like the other side. Like what, what are we the doing? The other side. But wait, back to the, the point of this podcast. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Valentine's Day because you were going to do a sweet trip to take me away. And again, this is the beginning of where our life really started to change and become so fertility focused, I think. And I look back and it's so many holidays, so many, you know, vacations, so many important moments and dates in our life that were clouded by IVF. And that morning I got the call that we had zero genetically normal embryos from that third retrieval. And then we're packing up, we're getting into the car. I'm trying to be happy that, you know, and so grateful that you're you're doing this. Dublin is, you know, on his last leg, literally. And we're just trekking along. And at this point, we've just had very weird results. We had one unexplained failed retrieval. We had one pretty good retrieval. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, two embryos is great. And then another failed retrieval because we think of sperm from my fever. So we just have like odd, an odd set of data points, I guess, to look at. So, I mean, for you- which was like horrible for my anxiety. (laughs) Right. And I think that's kind of where you, I think, took control of the information train where you went into hyperdrive. (laughs) What's the train they're trying to build from like LA to San Francisco? That is an understatement. Yeah. (laughs) I became obsessive. I was in, you know, Google mode- the first part of this journey, it became my job. But, and it's weird because I I actually love it. I love learning about all of these things in IVF and infertility and fertility itself. But I went on deep dives. Yeah, you would call it the black hole. The black hole because yeah. you just could keep going. It just, and then during well, COVID. Well, it's not really how a black hole works necessarily, but right, it's I know. a singularity you get sucked into and you yeah. can't escape, but. Same thing. I, yeah. I'm you, just thinking well, yeah, about it. Yeah, you like, couldn't escape I the information escape, hole. Yeah. I get yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and what I found I loved maybe the most in my research was Instagram. There is a huge infertility community on Instagram. And it's amazing. And you see all these handles that have infertility as a part of it. And you start to use hashtags and you can find a million women going through this. And then it it pops up. You might also like to follow so-and-so. So there I am following all these women. I created a... A fake Instagram account. Okay. Okay. Hold on. So. Oh, I know where we're going. <laughs> I know they they say to keep podcasts tight. You know, you oh, want I these know. to feel like they're flying by. Sorry, guys. I'm stopping down for a, an hour, maybe. We could talk about this for <laughs> two hours. I could I could do a whole other podcast, like okay. a 50-part series mm-hmm. on this one point. Okay, guys. And I, you, Okay, calm down, Todd. I'm getting he, very excited. This may excited. be his very favorite part <laughs> of our journey. I don't think people out there won't find this as funny as I do because I think you really have to know you to find this funny. And let me explain. I think, <laughs> and this isn't an insult to you at oh. all. No, this isn't an insult. It's a compliment more than anything. You don't overthink sort of things like- Anything? <laughs> <laughs> like if I were f- creating a fake Instagram account, I'd be like, 
oh, what's my favorite tertiary character from some obscure television show? And I'm going to be like cute and clever with it. Like, you don't give a shit about uh. that. <laughs> so if you would have asked me, okay, Todd, like what's, I created a fake name. Like, what's my name? I would be like, because your real name's Kristen. So I would have been like, oh, probably Kristen Jones 762894. Yeah. Like that was going to be your <laughs> handle. No. So I don't want to disparage any sex worker out there at okay. all. <laughs> but this is a stripper or porn star name you think that it you is? came up with. I don't see it. I feel like we needed to do a poll after this. I feel like... It's an Eastern European sex worker's name. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let me just... I'm going to say it. Can I say it? No, no, can I just preface? I need to preface. I need to preface. So getting a name on Instagram isn't always easy. So I probably tried Kristen and it wasn't there. You can put numbers after any name. I know. And I was, it it just, I I wasn't finding any matches. So I just started throwing out different combinations. So the name that Tara Lipinski came up with for her fake, and if you, if you're out there and I'm sure a lot of people know, cause you engage oh, with so yeah. many people. So if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> Mila, I'm still out there. Mila Storm. Mila Storm. 2018. 2018 <laughs> is Tara Lipinski's fertility <laughs> account. And again, I, I, I guess if you don't know you, it's not funny. It's just like that you came up with Mila, Mila Storm. Storm. I think it's, it is kind of sexy. We're joking about the name, but like it, it really is. It opened my eyes to, you know, you think about Instagram, Twitter, like these time sucks. But this is like a real, on Instagram, there are these subcultures of yes. people following each other, getting information. But like you said, and you you hinted at this, like we live, you more than I did, but like lived and died with some of these I, journeys you that you followed. so invested into these women's stories. They are documenting their every day. They're documenting their cycles, their retrievals, their transfers. They're taking you to the doctor. You're seeing the scans. You're getting their blood work numbers. They go into very, very, the detail is insane, which is what I loved because they will be like, on day three, these were my numbers. This is what my doctor said. And then you just slowly start to gain this knowledge and understanding. And when you get so invested in these women's stories, though, it can be heartbreaking because you are rooting for them. You're going along for the ride for three weeks. And then all of a sudden they put up a post and it says it didn't work or when is my turn or when is my time? And there's cycle buddies where women going through cycles at the same time, um, share stories and connect with each other and think about that. Then at the end, one gets a happy ending and one doesn't. And it feels, it, it feels like the, like the most intense soap opera you're ever watching or intense. It shouldn't even be that a drama. It's, it's just, you know, addicting and you want these women to win. And I feel like I'd come into bed at night and be like, Todd, it's, wake up! It, it's this person's got their last retrieval. This, yeah, this this is her last retrieval. You know, you know all about their family. You know about what they're what's at stake. They've quit their job. They've moved across the country. They're finding companies that give them insurance. You, you know, I I actually would be affected when it didn't work for some of these women, and I I felt like the rest of my day I was I was so emotional. So anyway, there's a whole world out there. So at this point, we've had two failed retrievals and one successful retrieval. 
But we hadn't yet tried to transfer one of these embryos mm -hmm. to you for a pregnancy. Like, why not? Why not like see if it was going to work? Well, that was, I think, what we thought would happen. We got the two and we were going to go on vacation and then just plan it and have two kids. And I think a doctor back telling us the two for one, if we wanted more than one child, which we definitely did, that would be the dream. And then we looked at my age and I had just turned 37 and we just started to put all of this together and we started to think, well, when are we going to transfer, you know, with, with work, with all of the things that we had going on. And then we've had a lot of struggles getting just these two. Does that mean we need to do more? Um, and I think we just realized, okay, we're not going to transfer yet till we get that next set to know that we, we might be able to build a family of, of two if, if that was possible. Yeah. And then, so we essentially, after those conversations, after the failed one in February, we decided to just do another one very quickly in March. We right. did it back to back, yeah. which those are long. Looking back, I did two back to backs and it takes four months plus all the time for uh, waiting on results. And again, this is where our life really started to change and yeah. just focus around fertility. But we did one back to back because we tried to line it up where we thought your sperm would have been regenerated by yeah. that three month mark. Yeah. And when we looked at it, the three month mark was right when that retrieval would be. So we thought, oh, we're fine. Yeah. And speaking of life changing, you know, life changed for everyone around this time. It was March mm -hmm. 2020. Our previous retrieval had been February 2020. I don't, the first cases of COVID were February, I think, in mm -hmm. the US. Um, or just right around that that point. But in February, March is really when COVID hit. March, Everything yes. gets shut down. We're heading into our fourth retrieval in March and COVID happens. And that kind of complicated stuff for us, right? It definitely did. And for anyone going through fertility or medical treatments, I I remember being really concerned because we had planned to, to start. And when this all happened, you know, you're calling the clinic and and asking, are are we able to come in? And it was a day to day thing. The what a weird time. It really was asking if you could like come in to right. And it was all the testing and the temperature checks, and pretty much said if you you know have a fever, you're done at whatever point in your cycle. You could be going into your retrieval, and they would just send you home. So I. <laughs> Again, a funny inside joke here is I like to say that I run hot, which I do. And Todd <laughs> does not believe me. I just don't know what that means. I run hot. I just, you have some things that you just sort of say that you've said your whole life that you've never really <laughs> sat and thought about, you know, is this, what does this mean? I is run, it true I about myself? But, <laughs> don't you, I'm sure some of you guys run, run hot. hot. What I does that hot. mean? I'm a little on the warmer side. In, so in terms of what? My body temperature. So if we, yes, we should if, grab a thermometer. I would probably be on the high and end. And what is running hot technically? Is it like point I to don't like know. three tenths I just, of a degree I just know higher? that I run hot and I was really <laughs> concerned to get my temperature checks. Like I would walk so slowly because I would say, like, oh, I just came up the stairs. Maybe that's going to make you know, the temperature rise too high. And believe me, there was no way I had got COVID because once they said that, I was 100%, we were locked down because we needed to do this fertility treatment. But I would walk so slowly. And I remember I would wear triple masks. Yeah, you do the quadruple masks yeah, sometimes. I, I would 
I couldn't breathe at all. I'd have the marks all over my face. I looked completely insane. And I would just pray, please let my temperature be okay as they took my temperature. And then they'd be like, okay, you can go back. But we lived like that day to day throughout the cycle of not knowing when they might shut down. Yeah, I also think that, you know, for someone like you, and I felt really bad for you because you struggle with a little bit of hypochondriasis to begin with, right? And then put on top of- I mean, I, I don't know if it's, you know, I'm technically- You're a worry, di- worry I am a, I am a, I am a worry wart. <laughs> we'll we- just call it being a worry wart. Yeah. Um, worry wart, fertility issues that start popping up. So we're start, starting to get kind of hypersensitive to like everything. What yes. we, when we get the, I had gotten sick- and messed up our retrieval yes. because of the fever and the sperm and yes. all that. Then on top of it, COVID hits and we're kind of locked down and we don't, you know, we forget, but no one knew how bad COVID was in like February of 2020. Oh, no. So it was a very, I don't know, it's kind of like a terrifying time to it just really be was. doing With this. COVID, yeah. you know, we were washing down our groceries, but I guess the good thing was I had so much on my mind that, you know, I guess I... I was dealing with COVID and and dealing with fertility. So wonder what it would have been like if I was just dealing with COVID. You would have had <laughs> to been walking around you. a hazmat suit inside the house <laughs> with me. <laughs> so March of 2020 is our fourth retrieval. And, you know, we've been building up the drama to these retrievals. I don't think we have to do that for no. this one. Basic, basic, <laughs> basically, this was right at the three-month mark of my fever and maybe my sperm recovering. Um, we log on to the trusty portal and what'd you see? Well, in a nutshell, we got shit. <laughs> That's what <laughs> yeah, we got. Yeah, we got shit. Yeah, we got nothing. Uh, on day five, we opened that trusty portal and it said zero. And then day six, we got one embryo sent out and we waited those two weeks and got the call that I'm sorry, it's genetically abnormal. You know, things start to go bad when you get a call. <laughs> when when the, when they stop sending the portal messages and they call you. So how concerned were you with the results? Well, let me first tell you what Dr. Beck said. Dr. Beck looked at the results, looked how the retrieval went, and she she said, I didn't think that this would happen. We thought that there'd be enough time for Todd's sperm to recover, but the sperm seemed to be an issue again on this retrieval. So she she thought it would have been okay by this point. And I started to worry, well, then maybe something's actually wrong with your sperm and it's not the fever. So my mind was going a mile a minute. And then when you think about it, I just started to feel really funny because we were doing this for close to a year at this point. And we did four retrievals and we sent out 13 embryos and only two of them were normal. So 11 of them were abnormal. And I just thought, Eh, there's got to be a problem here that it's clear. At this point, what did Dr. Beck suggest we do moving forward? So I'm glad because I didn't know if she was going to say we should do another retrieval. She just said, okay, let's mix it up. Let's, I think you can get pregnant naturally. Let's figure that out. And I'm like, oh, I can get pregnant naturally, Dr. Beck? Are and, you? I, and I was like, finally, we get to, tr- we get to have sex. <laughs> But I was like, 
there is no way this is going to work. You know, we've 13 embryos. We have this, you know, abnormal genetics. Let nature take care of it. Yeah. You know, this is So why did she suggest that? I kind of forget why that was. She just the- wanted to try something different, see how my body would react to that. Clearly it wasn't, you know, whatever we were doing together on this, it wasn't working. And she said, let's just try naturally. You'll come into the office I'll make sure you're ovulating. I'll give you a trigger shot to make sure we know when you ovulate. And they call this a t- time trigger? T- timed intercourse is what they yeah is what they call it. And then you go home and just do it naturally. And this is the first time we've tried, right? Literally was, in our life. That was the first time we ever, ever tried. It's the first time we had sex. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned your dad earlier in the podcast. So I, if he's listening, first time, you know? Yeah. This is it. <laughs> we're we're going to cut that out. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. <laughs> so this is May of 2020, timed intercourse. This was the very first time in our relationship that we had tried naturally to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I obviously wasn't very hopeful. I don't think you were either, but what was the result of that? I mean, I had zero hopes that this was going to work, but somehow, and I don't know how or why, I was pregnant. And I just remember you looking at me and you said, see, we worried for nothing. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. This episode of Unexpecting was brought to you by our friends at Carrot Fertility, the global platform for fertility healthcare and family forming support. Go to carrotfertility.com slash unexpecting to learn more.